going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out, talking my very favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Tribe time, baby. That's what's going on. Two, I know, it's about man. Time they have, they time. just turned it on. The Indians' Twitter feed got all the W's next to it, just like last year. It's a shame it had to end yesterday, but but it's fun while it lasted. Hopefully, hopefully it keeps going. Just because they're not winning them in a row doesn't mean they can't. They have to stop winning. Oh, for for sure. I mean, uh, riding a nine-game win streak uh, into Sunday, unfortunately, ended. Uh, couldn't pull it out to ten and sweep the White Sox and ended up breaking that streak. But still, nine and one over that ten-game span. Um, good timing for, for the Indians because the Kansas City Royals went on their own streak. Uh, in our nine and one in, in the their previous ten, uh, so f- I mean, if if the Indians didn't go on this streak, they they might uh, as well have been in uh, second place in the AL Central. But they're still two games up on the Kansas City Royals. Uh, both of teams seem to have pulled themselves away uh, t- to lead that AL Central. So, Chris, I mean, what are you what are you making uh, of the win streak? Well, you alluded to it. The good news is, yeah, they they counteracted Kansas City's nine-game winning streak. But the bad news is Kansas City also went on a nine-game winning streak. So your nine-game winning streak netted you exactly zero games gained on the Royals. But it did do a good job of pretty much burying the Twins. Uh, They're they're falling out of it. I I think we both thought Minnesota would fade, uh, and and we've been kind of saying that for a few months now. Um, but this Royals streak definitely uh, makes this a more intriguing division race uh, than than it probably was going into the year, wouldn't you say, Bob? Oh, for for sure. I mean, uh, the the Royals. It, it was kind of surprising how they kind of fell off uh, last season. I mean, this is a team that is just two years removed from two straight AL pennants. So, uh, and, and they haven't really had that much a, a changeover in their roster. Maybe a little bit on their pitching rotation, but uh, that that core is still intact. So this isn't all that surprising that the Royals are, are gunning for that AL Central title. I think they're worthy opponents to the Indians. Similarly, similarly constructed, especially their position players. Um, so yeah, I mean this the, this team is for real uh, and has a, a real shot of of winning the division they're only two games out and uh have been one of the hottest teams in baseball uh after their their slump coming coming out of the the start of the season so yeah it's a it's gonna be it looks to be a, a race down to to the end for for the indians and the royals well it will definitely come down to the end they get four at home against kansas city in september and then in just a couple weeks here they have kansas city on the road for a three-game series so still seven games left against the royals obviously that's looking way in the future the indians have kind of a brutal slate this week with the boston yankees uh two-step three in boston and come home for four against new york so obviously they've got a a plate full of games uh, against two very quality opponents. So so the Indians are going to um, have their work cut out for them to try and come away with a winning record this week. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, mid-August at Kansas City, then they host Boston again, then they host Kansas City, then they're at New York. So that's going to be a, a really interesting tough stretch to end August as well. Seven games against the Royals um, in, in such, a, such a quick time. So uh, yeah, it, it's it truly is going to be a, a race to the finish because they have so many games to yet to play against each other. 
Um, Chris, what are your what what's your take on, on the Kansas City roster? I mean, uh, do you think that they're as talented as the Indians? I, I do think offensively they match up fairly well with the Indians. I think that their lineup is similar to Cleveland. Cleveland maybe have a li- has a little bit more pop if it's all clicking on all cylinders. And I do think the injury to Jason Kipnis and Lonnie Chisenhall is kind of hurting them a little bit, but but Bradley Zimmer has stepped up and is having a heck of a rookie year. Uh, so I do think offensively they're pretty similar. I think the big difference, though, is the rotation. I would put the Indians 1 through 5, or until Sunday, 1 through 6, up against anyone's in baseball. I think if you're talking from ace to back end of the rotation, they have the best, especially when you have Bauer and Salazar pitching the way they are. Clevenger is taking another step forward, but the key here is Bauer Bauer and Salazar are starting to turn the corner and, and establish some good kind of consistencies behind uh, Kluber and Carrasco, who are just on any other team except maybe the Dodgers, uh, they would be the ace of the staff. Uh, you know, Kluber obviously is. Carrasco would be the true number one on any other staff. And so the Indians are essentially trotting out two aces on a regular basis and we've seen ace-like stuff from Salazar Bowers always had that kind of potential but he's never put it together for a long stretch so when Salazar and Bauer are pitching the way they are nobody can touch this rotation and 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 I look at the Royals rotation and I see a lot to be desired I I don't think they have the depth of pitching they had when they won the World Series and, and went back to back to back World Series yeah, for sure. I mean, the, that Royals rotation uh, is scrappy. I mean, Danny Duffy uh, has tons of talent and and uh, is certainly a great pitcher. And Jason Vargas is having a career year at age 34 for the Royals. And he'll probably get some Cy Young votes if he keeps that up. But um, 34-year-old Jason Vargas compared to the, the arms and guns that the Indians have doesn't really hold up. So yeah, that's definitely the edge right there uh, in terms of rotation and and a, a deep, strong rotation is what wins uh, a, a division title uh, in, in the regular season for sure. Um, you mentioned Danny Salazar, Chris, who has by far exceeded expectations in his return. Two fantastic starts so far uh, from him. Uh, you know, th- this win streak, Danny Salazar coming back, the Indians have gone with the six-man rotation how long are they going to go uh, with the six-man rotation? Because uh, it, is it cor- correlated with the with the streak that the Indians just went on? Well, I, I don't think it's correlated. I, I think the fact that that Salazar came back and pitched so well. I mean, in his last two games, thirteen innings, only two runs. He's only allowed four hits and two walks with sixteen strikeouts. I mean, you don't get much better than that. I mean, unless you're tossing out back-to-back perfect games, that's about as good as it gets. His first game back was a one-hit gem, no walks, eight strikeouts, seven innings against Toronto. He has been fantastic since rejoining this rotation. I don't necessarily think the six-man was the reason. I do think the, the getting more consistency out of Salazar and Bauer has been the reason because when you can trot out guys – of their caliber pitching at their highest caliber five you know every five days I mean it's tough to you know get win string together wins against this club now how long will they be going with the six-man rotation well it would have been a more interesting conversation Bob had Josh Tomlin not tweaked himself on Sunday 
So, so we're kind of in a little bit of no man's land here. Uh, the good news is if Tomlin's injury is, is serious, they can absorb that loss, go back to a five-man. Um, if, if not, though, if, if he can stay in this rotation, doesn't have to miss a start, um, I don't see why they can't go six-man throughout the rest of August because come September 1st, you get the 40-man roster, and then it doesn't really matter. So if it's working for you and you can do it for essentially one more month, why not? Uh, because... Like I said, come September first, you're gonna get that relief, and you can you can do it without you know squeezing your bullpen too much. Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, Chris, I think we got our answer right before we started recording. Tomlin landed on the ten day disabled list, so I think we're going with the five man rotation for for a little bit. Um, who knows how long he'll be on there? That ten day disabled list uh, goes by quickly, so maybe they'll go back to the six man rotation when he's back. It's kind of unfortunate because Tomlin was having some really good starts, probably the strongest starts of his season uh, prior to landing on the DL. You know, he, he, he was no hitting the White Sox uh, before he left that game on Sunday. But I, I, I guess the answer ha- has uh, come to us, <laughs> has been made for us, I guess, by, by Josh Tomlin's injury. I mean, his last four starts, he was had a 259 ERA and held hitters to a you know basically a 169 batting average. That that again is about as good as he gets. And again, he was another guy who was starting to kind of turn the corner uh, because he Bauer and Salazar started off really inconsistent for the first three months. And July has been a great month for all three of them, rebounding and, and finding sort of their 2016 form. Uh, two of them still in there. I do think Josh Tomlin, from a pure talent standpoint, is probably the weakest member of this rotation. That's no disrespect to Josh Tomlin. He's still an excellent middle-to-back-end-of-the-rotation pitcher. That's just how good, how much talent there is in this rotation when Salazar and Bauer are pitching at maximum strength. And I believe Clevenger also has a lot of potential as well because he's shown so much over the last year that he's been in the big leagues. Yeah, for sure. Um, and with the trade deadline ending, the Indians did not add an additional starter. Uh, they were attached to Sonny Gray and you Darvish. Uh, Gray ended up going to the Yankees, Darvish going to the Dodgers. Indians remaining really quiet uh, at the trade deadline, only uh, making a deal for former Cleveland Indian Mr. Joe Smith, uh, who is a right-handed submariner, right-hand batter specialist, um, bolstering that bullpen, taking some relief off of Guys like Brian Shaw and Andrew Miller, who lead the league uh, in appearances and innings pitched from out of the bullpen. So uh, we, we figured that they would probably be marginally quiet at the deadline, add a bullpen guy, possibly add a, a utility player, and that's just what they did in bringing in Joe Smith. Chris, are you happy with the what the Indians did at the trade deadline? Yeah, I'm happy. Uh, first, I thought the Indians would make a move, a bigger move. But at the end of the day, I didn't think they needed to make a big move. You know, they have a deep bullpen, they have a deep rotation, they have a lineup that can kill you in a number of ways. They, they were a team that was just underachieving a little bit, and and I think the win streak kind of woke everyone up and reminded them, hey, there's a lot of talent on this roster. We don't need to go out and get a Sonny Gray or a Hugh Darvish like some other teams do. We've got a lot of talent here. That said, Joe Smith, as Clevelanders remember, was one of the best setup men in baseball with the Indians. He still is a great bullpen arm. I mean, I'm looking at 35.2 innings pitched in 38 appearances. He's got 51 strikeouts. He's a 3-0 record, a 1.12 whip, and a 3.28 ERA. Uh, career three or 2.95 ERA. 
Uh, you know, he has a nice K9. I just think that overall, this was a good addition because Brian Shaw has had a pretty heavy workload. You rely a lot on Andrew Miller, a lot on Cody Allen. This will help take some of the pressure off those guys because now you can go to another reliable arm out of the pen in addition to Dan Otero, Brian Shaw, and the aforementioned uh, you know kind of co-closers of this team. Uh, so, yeah, I love the addition. I, I think it was a great high-value move. They didn't have to give up too much. And, and Joe Smith, obviously very familiar with the organization because he played here a few years back. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a solid move and one that, that adds to strength and gears them up for th- that postseason run where they can just throw power armor after power armor out of the bullpen, uh, really shorten the game uh, f- for them in the postseason. And, you know, like I said, give some relief uh, to to those big names at, at the back end of the, of the bullpen. So I, I like the addition. I, I thought that they would be more active players. Um, and there were certainly a lot of rumors attaching them to a, a lot of pitchers at the deadline, but uh, no moves were made. Chris, uh, in terms of other teams, you know, Royals getting Malky Cabrera, Yankees already talked about them getting Sonny Gray, but they also uh, got Jaime Garcia from the Twins. Uh, we talked about you, Darvish, to the Dodgers, Francisco Liriano to Houston, Red Sox getting Addison Reed. Which of those moves sticks out uh, most to you as the biggest impact? Well, the Yankees made a big splash with uh, Sonny Gray and getting Jaime Garcia because the biggest weakness for the Yankees, they, they have, I, I think they're the only bullpen in baseball better than the Cleveland Indians. Uh, you, you could pick and choose and, and split hairs over that, but, but I do think they're slightly better in the bullpen. Their offense is dynamic, but their pitching had a lot to be desired. Uh, Masharo Tanaka and CeCe Sabathia, you know, Sabathia is definitely past his prime. Tanaka just he has a ton of talent, but can't put it all together. He seems to one one week look like an ace, the next week look like he doesn't belong. Uh, so to get a guy like Sonny Gray to put on the front line, because you're going to match up against guys like Chris Sale, Dallas Keuchel, Corey Kluber in the playoffs, the Yankees did not have an answer for any of that. I do think Sonny Gray helps there. I do think Jaime Garcia helps add some depth behind Sonny Gray now. So, so I think the Yankees took their biggest weakness and addressed it. I still don't think they addressed it to the point where I'm super afraid of them, but they are definitely a deadlier team come postseason time should they make the cutoff because the AL East is, is shaping up to be one heck of a, a finish with the Tampa Bay Rays in third, only three and a half game out of first, and they have an ace of their own in Chris Archer. So nothing's a given, but I, I think it's a pretty safe bet the Yankees are going to make the playoffs unless something disastrous happens, and, and this was definitely a move that strengthened them. So I do think they've become more of a threat come October now that they've uh, taken steps to address what I felt was their biggest weakness. For sure, and, and they have a fantastic bullpen, one that they bolstered uh, previous to the trade deadline uh, last week, trading for David Robertson and even adding Todd Frazier. So they're all in on this season, um, and I think come postseason they will be pesky, um, and uh, they'll be it'll be interesting to see because they they do have a fantastic back end bullpen. Uh, adding Robertson, they have Chapman um, and a bunch of other guys back there that, that have some closing experience uh, as well. Um, I'm, I'm looking at that Darvish trade and man, that the, as if the Dodgers needed more weapons, they, they are crushing it in the NL West, uh, are uh, pretty much dominating out there. And, and this is all while Clayton Kershaw is on the DL. They add you Darvish. I mean, this is looking like 
could, could this be the year for the Dodgers? Uh, you Darvish certainly uh, gets them closer to, to actually fulfilling that potential of winning an L pennant and going to the world series. Um, that makes them really scary. Uh, and the Cubs as well made, made some very quiet deals. Uh, Jose Quintana two weeks ago, Justin Wilson, a closer from Detroit and Alex Avila, the catcher from Detroit. Uh, all of a sudden the Cubs are in first place in the NL central and, and look like they're uh, 2016 selves. And I think those moves uh, did uh, were, are going to benefit the Cubs greatly uh, as, as they make that postseason push. If you're Arizona and Colorado, you are two of five teams that have 60 or more wins in all of baseball. And you are 14 games out of your own division. That is insane. Yeah. That is the Dodger yeah. effect right now. And for that team at 74 and 31 to go out and get you Darvish to kind of keep the ace seat warm for the next month or so until Kershaw comes back mid-September. See, getting Darvish now means they can take even more time to get Kershaw right. It was a four- to six-week injury. I'm willing to bet the Dodgers are going to err on extreme caution towards that six-week side, unfortunately for my fantasy team. But, hey, they've got bigger fish to fry. And I, I would probably think that they're going to – Take their time, wrap him in bubble wrap, make sure he's 100% or as close to 100% as possible because I don't think there's a doubt in anyone's mind that Los Angeles is making the playoffs and probably will be the number one seed uh, because they are they're, they're, they're even 12 games ahead of Washington for the number one seed. <laughs> I mean, it's insane yeah. how, how far ahead they are of every, uh, compared to everyone else. So I, I do think that, that the Dodgers, if, if Kershaw comes back healthy, uh, they they may have the best one-two punch in the National League now, though th there are some good arms out in Washington as well. So it, it's going to be a fun postseason, uh, but the Dodgers definitely improved their chances big time by landing you Darvish. Yeah, for sure. Dar Darvish, like you said, uh, will give them, allow them to be overly cautious with Kershaw. Uh, I'd also say a 14-game lead also allows you to be very cautious uh, with Clayton Kershaw. So um, they, they look set for prime for, for a deep postseason run, but we've said that before about them. Uh, we'll have to see, but you Darvish going to the Dodgers, that's just a, it's going to be a scary one, two punch once Kershaw and Darvish are back in there. Um, Chris, I would say though, like, a in terms of trade deadlines uh, of the past, maybe it's just because 2016, the trade deadline was all Indians. They, they made some, some two huge moves in a, in a couple uh, quieter moves. Uh, this one seemed a little bit uh, disappointing, or, or not as many transactions were made. Yeah, I mean, you, you these trade deadlines go in cycles because you know when you have a big trade deadline or two. I think 2015 and 26 because I know Toronto made a lot of big moves one year. Kansas City made big moves. That was the 2015 deadline, and then 2016 last year was a pretty big one. I mean, there are only so many big names that can be traded. I mean, once these guys get traded, they they don't often then find themselves flipped again. Uh, so, so I do think that that has something to do with it. Like, you can't every year have a huge trade deadline because at some point you're going to have to have a sort of a lower key year just to kind of refill uh, the coffers, so that way the next trade deadline can be a little bit bigger. Um, but, but still, I mean, Sonny Gray, a guy with two years of team control, still on his contract, getting flipped. Uh, that's not a deal you see very often. I mean, a lot of times those guys. 
you know, teams hold on to those guys for as long as possible just because of their value contracts. So uh, that that, obvi- that that was a big move. And, and then, of course, you Darvish, the other really big name getting moved. Uh, but you're right. After that, it was not exactly the craziest tread deadline in the world. But I do think in terms of bullpens, uh, there were some pretty crazy moves made, especially the Yankees getting getting the guys they did. I mean, they, they, they're throwing basically four closers at you from the sixth through the ninth if they want to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that might be due in part, and, and you know, Dodgers with far, far, uh, by far the, the best record in, in baseball. But uh, a lot of teams do seem to be pulling away uh, in their division. I wonder if that uh, allowed those teams on top to kind of stay pat and, and you know say, "Hey, we're good with what we have, uh, and no need to to overpay for a guy like Sonny Gray." Yeah, and you look at the American League; um, there are only six teams above 500 right now Seattle is at 500 at 53 and 53 so so there has been a pretty significant separation this year the division races are not very tight you know I I I know there are three teams fighting for the east but they're confident that one wild card will come out of the east maybe the Royals will spoil them maybe the Mariners but the Mariners even at 53 wins are still kind of further out of that wild card pitcher um the Central is, is a two-team race now that the Twins have kind of slid. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. It's funny. They traded for Jaime Garcia. He did one start, and then they go on their losing streak. Okay, okay, we're sellers. We're flipping him to the Yankees. I thought that was kind of yeah. funny. Um, so so I, I do agree. I think the separation and, and that, that while, while it will still be a fun race to the finish, I don't think there are as many teams involved this year as maybe there were in years past. And the National League – the wild card race is done. I mean, I don't think I think Arizona and Colorado are going to be the wild card teams because they are so far ahead of everyone else in second place and so far behind the Dodgers that you know pretty much teams are just fighting for the division and the Nationals are going to win the East. It's pretty much just the Brewers and the Cubs fighting for the Central and, and the Cardinals kind of lurking. Yeah, uh, really, really odd. I mean, uh, National League always seems to have three tent poles, uh, especially last year. Uh, or in the years past, it's always been Nationals and Dodgers in the East and West. Um, but the American League has always been kind of a bloodbath. This year is a little bit different. It seems like uh, the the cream of the crop uh, is clearly separating themselves from the middle and and obviously the bottom. So um, who knows? Maybe that played into the trade deadline. But I, I'm still pulling for the Brew Crew to shut out the Cubs from the postseason. Uh, that dream is starting to wilt a little bit because the Brewers are kind of maybe the magic pixie dust is fading, but uh, that would just warm my heart if the Brewers could freeze the Cubs out of the playoffs. It, it would just be amazing. For sure. I, I, I was definitely cheering for them. Um, unfortunately, the Cubs seem to have finally awoken from their, their slump and also added some, some quality pieces at the trade deadline. Uh, I, I think the Brewers' time is up but uh hey we can certainly dream uh and and hope that the brewers uh, pull off a rally and take that division from the cubs that would be that would be perfect but brewers and uh, twins man neighboring states kind of same fates true yeah what's going on up there too much cheese i guess (laughs) cheese and sausage budweiser um all right well we're gonna move uh, away from actual real tangible sports events happening and we're going to dive a little bit into fantasy here uh, with all the Kyrie Irving drama 
no news yet, but Chris, uh, not a day goes by where at least some asinine story or rumor uh, gets released about Kyrie Irving. I mean, before before we just talk about what we're going to talk about, is, is there a particular rumor that that you that is particularly ridiculous to you that that uh like what's your favorite Kyrie Irving rumor at this point well I I saw a trade that involved four teams and 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 the Cavs somehow got Damian Lillard DeMarcus Cousins and Carmelo Anthony Uh, they had to give up Kevin Love Kyrie Irving Tristan Thompson Iman Shumpert so that 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 one was pretty off the wall and insane um I, I can't say I'd be disappointed if that happened but the likelihood of the Cavs getting all three of those guys for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love seem remote at best. Yeah, yeah, that that one uh, seemed ridiculous. Uh, the one that I is probably the most recent one uh, for me was, was the video of Steph supposedly making fun of LeBron and Kyrie's in the back laughing. It, it's just like we are reduced to interpreting recorded videos on, on cell phones as to what that what Kyrie and LeBron's relationship is it, I I rolled my eyes and turned off my phone as soon as I saw that it's just it's ridiculous but um so Chris Kyrie is still a Cleveland Cavalier after all that drama he he's uh been a Cav for, for the past week um now that the dust has settled and, and the hysteria is a little bit calmer we've had time to, to look at different trade scenarios uh and a little bit more in in the realm of reality than that four team trade that you mentioned. Um, what feasible trade for Kyrie Irving it, that you either read about, heard about, or played around with on on the trade machine yourself uh, is your is your favorite one? Well, mine's a very simple one. It's basically Kyrie Irving for Damian Lillard straight up, and, and maybe you add a, another player like Iman Shumpert to get the salary lined up. But nothing crazy, no six-team scenario. No, the Cavs aren't going to get every superstar in the NBA, not on Golden State. Uh, basically, swap Irving for Lillard and get a guy who has said he would love to play with LeBron James, who I think is a better fit with LeBron James because he can – I'm not. I'm not necessarily da- saying Damian Lillard's a better player than Kyrie Irving. I think he's an elite point guard. I think he's more of a floor general type point guard than Kyrie Irving is. He will run the offense and defer to other scorers more than Kyrie Irving will. He doesn't need the score to be effective, essentially. So I do think it's a much better fit. I think that with Lillard running the offense, you can ease up on LeBron bringing the ball up the court on a regular basis. I think the second unit would improve because Lillard won't be looking to score first. He'll be looking to facilitate. And I think Kevin Love's game will be enhanced too because, again, Love will get more touches now that he will kind of be elevated to more of a 2A option on offense instead of a clear number three. So I think Damian Lillard would be a great point guard and a great fit on this team uh, even better than Kyrie Irving is right now, quite frankly. I think that's one of the few trades out there that would actually make the Cavs a better team. And, and it's pretty simple. Irving for Lillard and just a couple other contracts to to make the money line up because the NBA IRS tax rules are just <laughs> insane. Yeah, that that's the one straight-up swap that I've heard that seems feasible and I think both teams would be interested in doing. Um, that I that I would be okay with. I, I think you would lose. I, I, they had their 
very similar players, Lillard and Irving, but they have some subtle differences. And I think, like you said, the Cavs might benefit more from Lillard's play style than, than Irving. So I, I would be okay with that trade for sure. Um, one that I've heard probably loudest than, than the rest is Kyrie Irving to Phoenix for Eric Bledsoe plus assets, whether that's uh, you know the, the Suns own all their draft picks plus a few Miami Heat first-round picks. Uh, Josh Jackson, who was uh, a top five pick in this year's draft, Devin Booker, who uh, has scored 70 points in the league um, and, and is a young player. Any kind of combination of those draft picks plus Bledsoe and uh, some of those young guys uh, coming to Cleveland. Bledsoe is uh, close with LeBron. Uh, LeBron has tweeted out in support of Eric Bledsoe getting new contract deals and, and whatnot. They worked out in Vegas uh just last weekend I think uh, in terms of play style and a floor general even more so than Damian Lillard Eric Bledsoe is a facilitator first I think he averaged over six assists per game last year while scoring 20 points per game so uh, certainly has the skill set and then I think the Cavs either could sit on those assets and get ready for life after LeBron or they could flip those into more proven veteran stars and I'm looking at a guy like Carmelo Anthony uh, that they could convince with that uh, that trade package to come over. You know, uh, there's the report that Melo isn't interested in coming to Cleveland because Kyrie wants out. But I think if they get Bledsoe and some of those guys, LeBron, LeBron and crew can convince him to then buy into Cleveland and agree to come and waive his no trade calls. Yeah, I like that trade too. I actually think if if uh, the Suns put Jared Dudley and Josh Jackson on the table along with Bledsoe, that deal would be done by now. I, I do think that that would be a deal that Cleveland would do. I don't necessarily yeah. think it makes you exponentially better from a start standpoint, but I do think you get some youth on your bench a little bit deeper. And again, a point guard that might be a little bit better fit from a running the offense kind of perspective. Um, Look, I'm not trying to pile on Kyrie Irving here. He is an exceptional talent, but his biggest weakness is he is a score-first point guard. He needs the ball, and he needs the score to be effective. Uh, And I I just think when you have a guy like LeBron James and Kevin Love, sometimes that their skills are, are not utilized to their full potential because you have a point guard who also needs to dominate. So I, I do think that that if again, if Phoenix put Jared Dudley and Josh Jackson on the table, th- I think that deal would have been done. I I, I like that. I, I think that's a very feasible option, Bob. Yeah, I, I would be happy with that. And yeah, I I, I think just sitting on those and, and Josh Jackson probably has the skills and talent to be a, a good defender coming off the bench already. Or like I said, you could flip those into to further proven veterans. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I like that deal as well. There, there have been a couple that I've actually been like, you know what? The Cavs might that they might improve if if they pull off that deal, but who knows what uh, is actually being offered uh, behind the scenes? Um, we will have to wait and see until a deal is finally in place. Uh, yeah, two quick points. One, Kyrie Irving has two years left on his contract, and he does not have you know no trade restrictions and things like that. So the Cavs still have a lot of leverage. Let's not forget that Kyrie Irving is a special talent. He is a very coveted talent in the NBA. It is not often that a guy who some view as a top 10 player, I personally think he's more in the top 15 range, but if you're in the top 15, you're close to the top 10. So it's not often a guy like this comes available, and everyone saw him in the NBA Finals, what he can do. This is a very special talent. There is going to be a demand for him 
the Cavs, I think, can pull off a move that will improve the team. It may seem like an ugly situation right now, but let's not forget Kyrie Irving's a coveted asset with two years left on a very, very favorable contract. He signed his extension in 2014, way before the cap shot up. This is a guy who should command a very strong return. I don't think this is just going to be a dump like Jimmy Butler or Paul George, guys who maybe aren't on as good of contracts or are closer to free agency. This is a guy on a value contract right now, two years away from free agency, and an exceptional talent. That's the trifecta right there. The Cavs should be able to get something significant in return for him. And Bob, just one last quick point. Don't you think it's just hilarious that a guy who is essentially whining his way out of Cleveland wants to go to the Spurs, probably the one right. team in the NBA who wants nothing to do with that kind of attitude. Yeah, and whose uh, first philosophy on offense is sharing the ball. Like you, And you're also playing alongside probably the, the greatest analog to LeBron James right now in, Ka- in Kawhi Leonard. I mean, you're going to a team that is going to make you take less shots. You're going to play for a coach who is not going to put up with your nonsense. And you think that you're going to be... I mean, he he thinks he's going to be Kobe Bryant. That ain't happening on the Spurs, man. I just think it's hilarious that the Spurs were even on his list. whole thing's kind of ridiculous, but... It is what it is. Um, any or the Cavs will obviously get something for Kyrie Irving, and, and I just hope that it's good and, and it makes this season uh, just as enjoyable as the last three have been. Um, but we will turn now to some Cleveland Browns news uh, as training camp is going on. Uh, Chris, most reports that I read say that the offense is not looking too hot, and we're starting with David and Joku. The first round draft pick for the Indi- for the Browns uh the tight end that's supposed to replace Pro Bowler Gary Barnage uh Chris this is a, a receiving tight end that cannot catch the ball in, in training camp how concerned are you of that well obviously very concerned but fortunately he is a rookie who has only had a handful of training camp reps under his belt um I, I think it's fair to say that that is not nearly enough time to make a final evaluation on him so obviously uh, not not the start he probably envisioned to his career, um, but but I, I don't think it's cause for for cutting him from the roster just yet. So uh, yeah yeah it's certainly a concern struggling with drops in, in in you know spring training camp, but you know let let's let's get a couple preseason games under his belt and, and then of course let's see how he does in his first year in the NFL on the field. Um, long ways to go for all these rookies. Um, I don't want to, you know, go too over the top on this, but we're putting a lot on a rookie's shoulders. There is going to be some growing pains. Uh, maybe he's pressing a little too hard. Maybe he feels he has to, you know, push a little more because he's replacing Gary Barnage. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. But again, it's it's only a handful of of games. Or excuse me, practices, not even games. A handful of practices, and uh, I, I think it's you know. Relax. Season hasn't started yet, and it's not like the Browns are being picked to go to the playoffs anyway. Yeah, let's just remember this moment uh, when we're picking the, the the season for the Browns or, or making some predictions. Uh, the Browns are young, uh, inexperienced, uh, lack talent in, in key positions, lack clarity in other key positions. Tight end is, is one of them in terms of clarity. 
Not sure what you're getting on David and Joku, but you know the athleticism is there. Uh, expectations need to be really low, and this is emblematic of that. I'm not saying that David and Joku is going to be a bust or anything. That's not what I'm trying to say. But uh, you know, your star or your future star tight end can't catch the ball in some training camp drills. Uh, that's you know that that's going to be emblematic of what this season is going to be like for the Browns. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's concerning, but. At the same time, you're absolutely right. This team's going to struggle. You're relying on not just rookies, but a lot of sophomores too, Bob. I mean, there is youth all over this roster. Uh, There's still not clarity at the quarterback position. The offensive line's improved. I I think in the trenches, the Browns are strong, which is a good sign long-term because that's where you want to start building. But there's so many questions on this team, and this is just one big one. I mean, you're asking a rookie to to step up and be your number one receiving tight end. I, I don't think that's an easy thing to do, and and he's going to struggle at times, and he's only had a couple practices under his belt. So, you know, obviously it's a concern, but I'm, I, his career is just beginning. There's so much more, much time for him to develop. Uh, let's just wait and see. And, and I, I'm sure that he's going to focus and, you know, try to straighten things out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, kind of a light week, but let's uh, close out with our fake headline. My fake headline is more tribe. I just want to talk about the tribe all the time. I want I want all the headlines to be about the tribe. I don't want to hear about Kyrie Irving. I don't want to hear about the Browns. I just want Cleveland Indians 24-7, 365 on all the newspapers and all the talk radio. I know it's not going to happen, but I want every headline in Cleveland to be about the Cleveland Indians because this team is legit one of the best teams in baseball and they have a shot to win the World Series as presently constructed. It's not going to be easy, but this is a legitimate contender in Cleveland that doesn't have any drama around it. They're just winning games. So all I want is a bunch of headlines about the Cleveland Indians. That's 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 the bottom line. Yeah, and what better time to, to get your headlines when the Indians are set for two ESPN appearances, two MLB Network appearances this week. Uh, coincides with uh, their seven games against the, the Red Sox and Yankees, so say what you want about that. But uh, they're going to get some attention this week, and I think it's at a perfect time for them because they are red hot. I will be at the game Sunday, and if the Yankees rest Aaron Judge, I'm going to be mad because I really want to see the guy play. I don't like that he's a Yankee, but I love the player. He he is awesome, and the seats I've got are like right near right field, so I, I, I'm going to be really mad if he doesn't play. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he is certainly worth seeing, <laughs> I would say, uh, regardless of who he plays for. Gotcha. Um, the, the guy is just fantastic. Yeah. All right, so mine uh, is really simple. I want to see a headline that says David Njoku catches a ball. I mean, has he not caught a single pass yet? Has he <laughs> dropped sure he, them I'm all? I'm sure he has. I think uh, the main focus was that he was getting the ball stripped out of his hands as he caught it from tiny little cornerbacks. And Njoku, if you've seen him, is like this ripped dude. He's 6'4". He's huge. Uh, he should be able to, once he touches the ball, secure it and not get it stripped by these little cornerbacks. And Hugh Jackson then uh, yelled at him in, in the middle of camp in front of everybody when reporters were there. Gotcha. Well, that's those savvy corners, man. They know how to they know how to sneak in there and strip the ball. 
Yeah, well, maybe that's a good sign for the Browns because okay. uh, the secondary is not supposed to be good. Well, they are also covering David Njoku in practice, so mm, <laughs> we'll yeah. see what happens when they draw Antonio Brown and co. Uh, first week. I think that's a yeah. big step up in weight class right there. Yeah, very good point. All righty, man. Well, we just uh, had a lot of news in our podcast and got to wrap things up here, man. We'll be back next week with another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching Fenley Road Sports. You can also subscribe to our podcast by going to FenleyRoadSports.com and clicking on the little iTunes icon in the upper right corner. Or you can search Fenley Road Sports on iTunes and click Clee Talk. Clee Talk airs every week. We focus on Cleveland sports, bringing you all the greatest, latest, and, and sometimes heartbreaking news from the land of Cleveland. We'll be back next week with another episode. We appreciate your support. Until then, catch up on our old episodes. And, of course, go Tribe. Let's get a seven-game win streak against the two most hated teams in baseball. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds good to me. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, Chris, and go try. All right. Take it easy, Bob.